this morning to the prophecy of Nahum. We've been dwelling here in Nahum in this terrible prophecy of doom and destruction for Assyria, specifically for her capital city of Nineveh. Thus far in the series that God is a jealous God has captured our imaginations and our hearts. The fact that he is our wrathful God has cut us to the quick. And now, as though Nahum were giving a rapid-fire series of lessons in the attributes of God, he tells us that our God is a patient God. And by the time we finish this morning, we, our hearts will have plenty uh, for which to be praising the Lord concerning his patience. Patience not only with the wicked, but patience with us, his children, too. Nahum, but first to prayer. Father, we pray for your blessing on your word again, knowing that uh, with it, um, this word will have a mighty work uh, to do and and will accomplish that for which you send it in all of our hearts and in this body, in this church, and in your world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Nahum chapter 1, we'll read the first three verses, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, never in a man. (laughs) <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Patience, true, true patience is a rare virtue. All of you who know, who drive, uh, know this very well, don't you? You're toddling along, uh, toodling along, maybe you're toddling along in traffic, and, and uh, you glance in the mirror and find that you're being followed bumper to bumper by a person who's in a big rush, and seems to know exactly when you look in the mirror just the time for him to throw up his hands and shake his head at, at you. Because you are the biggest problem in his life right now, and you are very stupid uh, to boot. Or perhaps you have, the be honest, been that person yourself. You know how short you, your fuse can be, how... Easily, uh, you lose your patience. You know, it's very easy to be patient, isn't it? While there's nothing to be patient about. But our impatience flares up in a moment. All of this makes this biblical truth all the more remarkable that our God is a perfectly, perfectly patient God. For all of the horror and the terror of God's wrath that we considered last week, this same God of ours is a perfectly patient God. Now that doctrine is 
Wonderful. That attribute of God must be a great encouragement to the saint, even as it is terrible for the wicked. You know, they, they, the wicked, they enjoy the benefits of God's patience for a time, don't they, to be sure. But given time, the patience of God does not make things better for the soul that rebels against him, but only worse. Both of these things are at work here in Nahum. He was, he was not only preaching against the wicked, but Nahum, whose name means comforter, was also preaching God's word for the sake of God's children. We'll consider them both. But, but first, what I ask, what do we mean by the patience of God? What does it mean that God is, is patient? Well, Nahum's not invented anything new here. Uh, this doctrine was already ancient by his day. We heard it, remember, we hear it back in the encounter uh, between God and Moses uh, at Mount Sinai, where the Lord passed before Moses. And you remember the, the attributes he proclaimed to Moses? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That lesson was not lost on Moses, was it, who uh, we find pleading for the rebellious people, interceding with God for them time and time again. Remember in Numbers chapter 14, after the ten spies come back from having uh, spied out uh, the land uh, with their sniveling report laced with cowardice and dripping with apostasy, the people turned against Moses, complaining and saying how much better it would be, Moses, if we just went back to Egypt. Remember Moses' prayer on that occasion. And now he prays, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression." I remember Jeremiah. Oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors in your forbearance. Take me not away. Or, or then Joel, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In fact, was, this was not the first time, was it, that God's patience had been mentioned on Assyrian soil. Nahum's not the first one to bring this. A century before Nahum's day, Jonah had come to Nineveh, remember, with this, with this message. And, and after God had withdrawn his wrath, in response to the repentance of Nineveh, in response to Jonah's preaching, then Jonah prayed this. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The psalmist, too, flees to his heavenly Father's breast with this prayer, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I could go on and on and on this morning, and so could you. The fact is, this doctrine of the patience of God lies face up on virtually every page of the Bible, and it's evidenced every day all over the face of the globe, where men are allowed to draw another breath, where people are allowed to take even one more step without the wrath of God breaking out on them for their sin. But what, what is what is the patience of, of God? Well, I think we find the answer, or at least we make a good start in the passage uh, that I mentioned, Moses' prayer in the wilderness. Uh, and now please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Now what is this power of which Moses prays? about which he prays. Well, it is the power which God exercises over himself. The power he exercises over himself by which he forbears with the wicked withholding his wrath from them. In fact, Nahum even brings these two together in the passage. Did you notice that? The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Well, what do they have to do with each other? Why bring those two together? Slow to anger and great in power. Well, because in, God, in Nahum's mind, God's patience and his power go right together. His power is, the patience, is his patience over his own wrath. Listen to the way this old Puritan Stephen Charnock uh, put it. Men that are great in the world are quick in passion and are not so ready to forgive an iniquity or bear with an offender as one of a meaner rank. It is a want of power over that man's self that makes him do unbecoming things upon provocation. A prince that can bridle his passions is a king over himself as well as his subjects. God is slow to anger because he is great in power. He has no less power over himself than over his creature. Charnock continues, the power of God is more manifest in his patience to a multitude of sinners than it would be in creating millions of worlds out of nothing. The patience of God is the power of God withholding the wrath of God for a time. Here is God's power most gloriously revealed to us, dear flock, in his self-restraint, though deeply offended by the wickedness and the rebellion of his creatures. And yes, that includes you and me. We see God exercising this power over his own wrath over and over in the Bible, don't we? Remember how he displayed it to those who lived before the flood. Wickedness was universal. 
And God grieved, the scripture tells us, strikingly. So what does he do? Does he fly into a rage, you know, and strike down the people everywhere? No. He waits. Patiently, he waits. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Later, God exercised his patience toward Israel. We read in Acts 13, for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Then when they were in the promised land and they turned to all manner of idolatry and wickedness and sin, you remember, taking their cue from the very people God had sent them to destroy. Though he did chastise them, he did not destroy them. In fact, he gave them deliverers. You remember in the book of Judges, one after another after another to deliver them and deliver them and, and care for them and bring them back. He withheld his wrath from them for generation after generation after generation, warning them, chastising them, sending them prophets for years and years through the period of the kings until finally sends the Assyrians, does he, to take the northern tribes into exile and then eventually the Babylonians to carry out the southern Judah and to, to destroy Jerusalem, but not before a long, long, long patience. He did the same thing in the first century, didn't he? And it's sort of microcosm between the time of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and A.D. 70. The Lord was very patient for 40 years until he sent Rome to destroy Jerusalem and the temple yet again. And it's not too much to say that he's doing the exact same thing right now. Right here. In this very nation of ours. How, how provoked do you think God must be with our nation today? Our hands are dripping with blood the, bloods of million, the blood of millions since opening the gates, the floodgates of abortion. The bacchanalia that is now going on that burst out of the sexual revolution. You know, don't bother turning on the television to see now what passes for our entertainment. It's a swim in the cesspool and the stench has not failed to make its way to the nostrils of God. Thanks be to him that they're long nostrils. That's, a, that's literally the, uh, what Nahum says here about him. Literally translated, the verse says, God is long of nose. It's a Hebraism. A Hebraism it's a Hebrew expression uh, that, expre that describes a long fuse. Enduring patience that can last a long, long time. And it still is. And the evidence is all around you. I mean, the, the, the evidence is driving up and down Route 54 right outside our window right now. Uh, that people are allowed to continue to exist at all. Not only in the world, but the apostate church. Where all manner of sin is now not only tolerated, but embraced and celebrated. 
is the sheer evidence of the patience of God. Why, why not simply wipe, wipe them all out with one blast? Well, the only answer can be that, as Paul points out in Romans, God has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He is that patient. Another question, you know, come to the nitty-gritty. What shall we do and how shall we respond to the patience of God? Knowing that He is holding back by His power, by the greatness of His power, He is restraining and withholding the divine consequences of sin for a time. How shall we respond? Well, there, there, throughout history of mankind, there have been two basic responses. Uh, the first one, on the one hand, there are those who respond by abusing the patience of God abusing the patience of God. Now remember from our studies on Ecclesiastes. Remember what Koheleth taught us. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Because the sentence against evil is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is set fully to do evil. In other words, seeing no danger, thinking little of the patience of God, wicked men just continue to do evil. They abuse the patience of God by trampling on the patience of God with more disobedience, more rebellion, more sin. God doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss any of this. He, he's been allowing this to go on, hasn't he, for centuries and centuries. Remember that it went on for at least four centuries with regard to the Amorites. Remember what God said with Abraham, told him about his, his descendants would spend 400 years in captivity, in slavery in a foreign land in, down in Egypt. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites up here was not yet complete. God was exercising patience toward the Amorites in the land of Canaan until he would no longer hold back his wrath and then send Israel as the instrument of his justice when his patience came to an end. But all the while, I ask you, did the Amorites up there in, in Canaan, did they, did they give a thought to the patience of God? No. They abused it. They trampled on it. Same thing with these Ninevites. Nahum says that God has been patient, and he most certainly has. And you know that God has been patient with the Ninevites because you know about Jonah. You know that Jonah's already been there. And they've heard the message. Just a century or so earlier, Jonah had walked through the city crying out to them, repent, repent. And their fathers heard, and they did. They repented. For a time, they heard and they heeded that message. But soon, within whatever generation, however many, a couple generations at the most, they turned in their wickedness and trampled on the patience of God again. And now that patience was coming to an end. Now jump ahead with me 27 centuries. How long, I almost shudder to ask, 
How long may a nation trample on God's laws? How long may a, a nation flaunt their sin in his face? How long can a nation forsake the faith of their fathers? A hundred years? Two hundred years? Four hundred years? Can't say for sure. But God doesn't miss a thing. The omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent ruler of the universe is not blind to any of it. He sees what goes on in the hearts of men. He sees what goes on in the dark corners of their homes. And the day will come when his patience will run out. And of course, the ultimate day will be the, the more terrible than the downfall of any particular nation. There's coming a day of judgment when all men will stand before God, you and I included, to give answer for every deed done in the body, whether good or evil. Only then it'll be too late. For the wicked, his patience will be spent. There is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and His wrath. Listen. Are you listening? This is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking. To you who have not bowed the knee to Christ, who have not come to Him in repentance and humble faith, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your And then to all of us, he says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we may abuse the patience of God, or, and this is what I want for you and for me, dear flock, we may second embrace it. And by embracing the patience of God, I mean four things, and just briefly. First, we must embrace the patience of God as the explanation for the state of things today. I'll remind you again that Nahum's name means comforter. And that's exactly what he is, isn't he, to the people of God, even as he pronounces this judgment on Nineveh, on the wicked. Judah had seen a serious wickedness, hadn't she, in Israel too. Uh, Judah had seen that wickedness not just from a distance. Assyria had swooped in and taken Judah's sister to the north, Israel, into captivity. The invaders had made Israel's streets run red with blood, cutting down her young men in the streets, ripping open her pregnant women, raping her daughters. But now there would be justice, and the blood now will run in Nineveh. 
justice will come and it will be a matter of rejoicing to the people who had suffered before. More on that another time. For now we embrace the patience of God by seeing through the eyes of faith that yes, the wicked are prospering today, but it will not be so forever. And in the whole vast configuration, it won't be for long. Before we know it, you will see what you sang about last week. You will, with your eyes, you will see, with your ears, you will hear the wicked crying out on the mountains and the hills and the rocks to cover them, to fall on them. You will see them cast into eternal darkness. Those who harass the people of God in this life, those you're hearing about now who are beheading God's people and torturing them in other parts of the world today, you will see them and then suddenly you won't see them because they will be gone. Christians, just wait. Wait. Wait patiently for him. Wait on the patience of God. Know with a certainty that, as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow put it in verse, though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds he all. Second, be encouraged by God's patience. Contemplate the patience of God toward you. But while on the one hand he does not treat the wicked as their sins deserve, at least for a time, on the other hand he will never, ever treat you as your sins deserve. Though you and I provoke him a thousand times a day, that would be a good day for me. He is patient with his children. So much does he love us, whom he's rescued like firebrands from the burning, making us his children, calling us his people, giving us an eternal inheritance. And how have you been showing your gratitude for that? Alas, there are some days I hardly love him at all. And yet, he is so, so patient toward you and toward me. Third, let's imitate that patience, shall we? Thinking on the patience of God to us, let us also be mindful of the patience He requires of us and from us. Not only under His providences, which is one reason we have sung what we have this morning and will sing what we're going to sing, submitting to His will daily, though hard my road, Also, exercising patience for each other. There's a task. 
Listen, if God can be patient, if God can withhold and restrain by his power, his, his wrath, if he can be patient while multitudes upon multitudes are sinning on him, against him simultaneously and, and constantly all the day long, then surely, surely, you and I can be patient toward each other when we hurt each other's feelings and when we step on each other's toes and when we transgress against each other, which we're going to do, When a fellow sinner offends us. Remember what Jesus said. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, do you remember the context of that comment when we were studying it together in the Sermon on the Mount? You remember what he was talking about? He was talking about loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you and doing good to those who hate you. In other words, if you would be like your Father in heaven, then bear with the sins that are committed against you. That's how you can be like your Father in heaven. Imitate your Father in this. And then fourth and finally, let us adore Him for this. Let's adore Him for this. Isn't that the very reason, after all, that our Father reveals these things to us about Himself, to us, so that we may better worship Him? That's the whole point we exist for His glory. He made us for His glory. Children, you know that. Why did God make you and everything else? What's the answer? Yes, for His own glory. He calls us to worship Him for His glory. Here's one more reason. Just add this to the, this, the, the, the vast bottomless satchel of reasons for glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And think on this and continue and uh, considering and embrace this. The patience of God. Then among all the other things He is and has shown Himself to be, He is truly our patient God. Amen.